Genesis chapter 32, be patient with me. We're going to read the whole chapter or right down to the end of the chapter. But I believe we need to do that just to kind of get context of the story here. And it's a familiar story. If you're a Bible reader, it's a very familiar story. But we're going to read it to refresh our minds and get our mind wrapped around it to see what God has for us tonight. Genesis chapter number 32 in verse number 1. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahanium. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban, and stayed there until now. And I have asses and flocks and men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people uh, that was with him, and the flocks, and the herds, and the camels, into two bands, and said, If Esau come to one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, <clears throat> excuse me, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And, and thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand, a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When he saw my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither, thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me. And afterward, I will see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. <clears throat> and he 
rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. He, and he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him unto the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and has prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And he passed over Penuel, the, and as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Uh, the title of the message tonight is, Do You Need to Be Broken? <clears throat> God can use broken things. And uh, sometimes He has to break us to use us. It's just the truth. So we're going to look at that for a while. Let's pray and we'll get started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're thankful to be in this place again tonight, and we ask you now for your divine guidance and blessing. We ask for power that only you can give, for clarity of mind and speech, and just the ability to preach the liberty, I guess I should say, that we need to preach this message the way that you'd have it done. Lord, I'm thankful for stories in the Bible such as this, and the lessons we can learn from this. And Father, I pray tonight that uh, you would teach us and you'd speak to us clearly. And that you'd use this as a tool to do a work in our lives and in our hearts. And Father, just, I, I just pray that you'd allow us to preach tonight. That you'd use us in such a way that it'd be a blessing to others. And we'll thank you for what you accomplished. For we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing. Please, please do be seated. <clears throat> You already know this, but Genesis chapter, two, uh, chapter 32 records the turning point in Jacob's life. And, and in order for us to understand the significance of that, which we have just read, we have to know something of the circumstances that led up to this point. We know that the name Jacob means supplanter or taker or cheater. And I won't take time to go into the reasons why Jacob was given that name by his parents, but he certainly did live up to it. He was a supplanter. He was a taker. He was a cheater all of his life. Uh, he spent his entire life trying to get what, what he thought he had coming to him. I mean, even if he had to lie and cheat to make it happen, whatever he had to do to make that happen, that's what he was willing to do. And the result was that Jacob always seemed to get what he wanted. 
He really did. He always seemed to get what he wanted, but it always cost him more than he bargained for. I mean, we think about 20 years earlier, it had cost him his home. I mean, having lied to his own father and cheated his brother, actually for the second time, he, he left home in absolute disgrace. He left behind a brother who had vowed to kill him. Uh, 20 years later, his schemes have made him a wealthy man, but his family's a wreck. So he's got all this wealth, he's got all this worldly goods, but his family is just an absolute wreck. And now here he is again on the run, and this time from his father-in-law, and his future right now does not look very bright whatsoever. And when we pick up in the story, Jacob's all alone. Everyone he loves and everything he possesses is on one side of the brook Jabbok, and he remains on the other side all by himself. And Jacob doesn't know it, but he's about to have an encounter with God that's going to leave him more greatly blessed than he's ever been in his life. But before God can bless him, he has to break him. He has to break him of his lying. He has to break him of his cheating, his self-reliant ways that have left his life in shambles so that he, so that God can pick up all these broken pieces and make them into something that he can bless and use. Although it took God more than, excuse me, more than 60 years to get Jacob to that place, once that uh, he was there, in one night, God did, God did something that changed Jacob's life forever. There's three characteristics that mark that moment in Jacob's life. The first is that he was at a point of desperation. You know, Jacob's a man who had run out of places to run. He had no place left to run. He left his uncle Laban. Jacob and his uncle Laban had spent the past 20 years trying to outfox each other. And first Laban had tricked Jacob into marriage with his oldest daughter. And after getting seven, that was after getting seven years of free labor out of him. And then he tricked Jacob into working for him for seven more years without any wages. And when he did finally start paying Jacob for the work that he did, they spent six years trying to outsmart one another, each one trying to use the other to their own advantage. Really a crazy story. Talk about a dysfunctional family. Here we have a dysfunctional family to know in. And the end result is that God allowed all of Jacob's scheming ways to work. Now, once you get that, God did allow all of Jacob's scheming ways to work so that Jacob ended up with a great deal of his father-in-law's wealth. And, and Jacob's schemes worked so well that all of his brother and, uh, brothers-in-law hated him and his father-in-law no longer liked him. So Jacob decided just to sneak away. And what he did is he packed up his family in the middle of the night. And at the first light of day, he left for Canaan without telling his father-in-law. Jacob ran for three days before Laban caught up with him. And all I will say about that is that the meeting wasn't a very pleasant meeting for either one of them at that time. And in the end of it, they built this small mound of stones, kind of like a corner post of a property line, as if to say, look, you stay on your side and I'll stay on my side and everything will be okay if we do that. Um, and because they couldn't trust each other, what they did is they agreed to make God responsible for punishing either of them if either one of them stepped out of line. So Jacob had uh, uh, just severed ties with all of his wife's relatives. And then there's this fear of Esau, his brother. Uh, there, it says there, let me see, verse number, uh, where were we at? Verse number three. 
It says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith this, I have sojourned with Laban, and stayed there until now. And I have oxen, and asses, and flocks, and men servants, and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks, and the herds, and the camels, into two bands. So for twenty long years, Jacob had been living this life of guilt after what he had done to his brother Esau in stealing the birthright. And for 20 long years, he had lived with his brother's threats ringing in his ears. Uh, okay, let, let's, let's, let's paraphrase this. I, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you, Jacob, before our dad's body even grows cold in the grave, I'm going to kill you, buddy. Come on, that's pretty much where he was. That's pretty much the, what Esau told Jacob. You have had it when I'm telling you when dad's gone, you're gone. And here it is 20 years later, as he draws within a few dozen miles of home, he's trying to smooth over the hurt feelings of his brother with a little spreading of the wealth. He has gained all this wealth, so he thought, thinks, man, I can spread some of this wealth. I can gain fame with my brother. This is going to be a really good thing. I mean, he's working, trying to work out this plan. But when the messengers return, they come with the news that sends a real chill down Jacob's spine because, yeah, your brother's coming. And by the way, he's bringing a small army with him. He's got 400 men with him. And so the Bible says that Jacob was distressed, that he was at that breaking point. His life had reached a crisis for which he could see no way out. He couldn't go back to his father-in-law. He'd cut that tie and Esau stood between him and his home. And so here he was, Jacob was a man who had run out of places to run. So he began to make plans. And it were, they were plans that were made in desperation. Jacob may have run out of places to run, but he had not run out of uh, schemes trying to work things out the way he wanted them to work out. So he, he came up with a plan A. Well, what's plan A? Look at verse 7. <clears throat> then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands and said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. So he divided his family and he divided his flocks into two companies with the idea, get this crazy idea, with the idea if Esau attacks one, then the other one might escape. So I'm going to make out with something here. Then he comes up with plan B. What's plan B? Look at verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, and uh, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto uh, thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of the truth which I have showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I become two bands. <clears throat> Excuse me, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he will come and smite me and the mother with, uh, with the children. So Jacob did, what Jacob did what desperate people often do. Look up here for a second. He prayed. He began to pray. And as he began to pray, what he did is he reminded God of his promises to him. And then he pleaded to God for his protection. 
I really have no doubt that Jacob's prayer was sincere. And it also reveals that Jacob was very aware of the promises that God had made and what God, God was absolutely capable of doing to help him. But here's the problem with this, with his prayer. There's no faith in it. There was no faith in Jacob's prayer. No, 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 no. It was simply one more option that Jacob tried while he tried to get himself out of the mess that he was in. And it was a mess that was caused by a lifetime of trying to get what he wanted his own way. And he was good at it, but he was in a mess because of it. And we have to believe the minute that, that he said amen to this prayer, he began to implement another plan Come on, come on, just in case God didn't come through. And so he's got this plan A, then plan B, well, I probably need to pray a little bit right here. You know, I can do that. And then he comes up with plan C. Well, what's plan C? Well, look at verse 13. And, 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 uh, uh, and he lodged there that same night, and two of that which came to his hand, uh, uh, <clears throat> came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats, 20, uh, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milch camels, and all these different things. Verse 16, and he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove of them themselves, and said unto the servants, pass over before me, and put a space betwixt uh, uh, drove and drove. Um, uh, verse 19, so he commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, on this manner shall you speak unto Esau, when you find him, and, and you say, moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Peradventure, he will accept me. <clears throat> so in verses 13, on down through verse 23, actually, um, we see the great schemer throwing together one more plan in hopes of appeasing his brother. That's what it said in verse number 20. Hopefully I can appease my brother with this and avoiding bloodshed. Pretty much his own bloodshed was what he was worried about at that point. And so he dips into his wealth, all this wealth that he's acquired, and he prepares several different gifts for his brother. Uh, small, small bunches of goats and sheep and camels and cattle. And he sends them out ahead of himself um, uh, in hopes of buying his brother off. Man, I can send this stuff out. My brother's going to be so impressed by all of this. He'll have mercy on me in the end of it. This is going to be a great, great thing. But what all this reveals is that, no, no, listen to me. What all this reveals is that Jacob's faith is in himself. His faith is not in God. His faith is in himself. I've come up with these plans. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I'll send out different ones. And, and, and boy, we can work all of this out. His faith is in his, in his wealth. His faith is in his own plans. Because the only person that Jacob really trusted at that point was Jacob. He had lived like this all of his life. And at this point in his life, in spite of that very evident failure of all that was done, we see no repentance here. We, we see no real turning to God. We, we just see this great cheater trying one more time to save his skin any way he can save his skin. And, and that is what God sets out to change through this midnight encounter that he has with Jacob. And Jacob, in his fear, sends all of his wealth and family to the other side of the brook. The side, of which, uh, the side on which Esau would come. Well, what a brave man. 
I'm going to put my family between me and the guy that wants to kill me. And Jacob remains alone on the opposite side of the river. And we can only imagine the kind of thoughts that were going through his head at that time. You know, thoughts like, oh, well, just guilty thoughts of cheating his brother. Uh, fearful thoughts of the ugly images of, of his wives and his children uh, being, being slain by his mad brother and this group that he brought with him. Maybe even anxious thoughts about how it would all work out. Desperate thoughts. I mean, trying to come up, man, just one more plan that, that might save my neck and, and let me return to my home in peace. And while all of these thoughts were going through his mind, Jacob looks up to see a man in the night. And while Jacob is trying to figure out who this man is, the man suddenly grabs him and begins to wrestle him to the ground. And Jacob, Jacob fights back in desperation. I, I mean, come on, maybe the man's a thief. Maybe he has come to murder him, steal him. Maybe he's an assassin that's been sent by Esau. I mean, he don't know. At this point, he doesn't know. He just knows he's wrestling for his life. He is fighting for his life. So all night long, these two men, they roll in the dirt there. And Jacob always looking for a way to come out on top, a way that he can pin this opponent to the ground, come out the victor. And uh, strangely, the man never says anything. I mean, nothing. It's a silent struggle that just continues all night long. And no, no matter how hard Jacob tries, he cannot seem to win in this battle. His, his opponent, this opponent always seems to guess his moves along the way. His opponent always seems to have a little bit more strength than him. And we can only imagine as the night wears on and this battle wears on, this fight wears on, that this wrestling match begins to wear Jacob down. I, 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 don't, I, don't, know how many, I don't know how many here have ever been in a wrestling match, but it doesn't take long to get worn down. Amen. And for the mat, before this match is concluded, Jacob realizes that he has wrestled with God before it's all concluded. Now, verse number 30 made that pretty, pretty clear. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. My life is preserved. So we have a wrestling match which God initiated and Jacob unknowingly fighting back against God all night long. That was a picture of Jacob's relationship with God. No, I mean, he just, he, all, all of his life, he's been fighting with God. God wants him to do this, he does this. God wants him to do this, he does this. God wants him to do this, he does this. And do you realize that, I mean, God let him get by with a whole lot of stuff. He was still able to acquire wealth and all these different things. But his life, his whole life has been wrestling with God and fighting against God. And making it his own way. And doing things the way that he wanted it done. All of Jacob's life, all God wanted to do was bless Jacob. And implement his plans. His plans for Jacob's life. Come on, I mean from the very beginning he's wanting to bless Jacob. All Jacob's life, Jacob had resisted God's will. And, and stubbornly tried to make his life work on his own terms. I mean, whatever he could do, but I'm going to do this my way. And at every turn, Jacob had experienced failure. 
Oh no, I mean, it's not like he was without. I mean, the wealth was there and things had happened. And yeah, he had that deal with the two wives and all that. But still, I mean, you know, and things had gone, you know, I'm making it my own way. I'm doing it my own way. But really, he had experienced failure. He had stolen the birthright. He had done that, but he lost respect of his father and he lost the love of his brother. He got his way, but he lost all that. He had accumulated great wealth, but, but his cheating and his conniving ways that he had done it, he, he, he had lost his wife's family too. Couldn't depend on that. Couldn't be there for, for depend upon his in-laws. And, and this is crazy because yet no matter how miserably his plans failed, Jacob refused to give up the fight to make his life work his way. I'm going to do this my way. Man, things just fall apart. It don't matter. I'm going to do this my way. No matter what happened, he was determined to do things his way. So with failure staring him in the face, one more time in the person of his own brother, Esau, he's still fighting to work things out his own way. And here was God trying one more time to get, to get Jacob just to give up. To give up on what? Jacob. He just wanted Jacob to give up on Jacob. And to trust God with his life. I just want you to depend, to depend upon me, Jacob. And as the day breaks... We know the story. God reaches out with his finger of omnipotence, all-powerful, touched Jacob's thigh, and threw it out of joint. So now Jacob's broken. He's broken. Some might say, well, why in the world did God touch Jacob's thigh? Well, because it's the largest and strongest muscle in the body. And again, I don't know how much you've wrestled, but if you only have one leg, you're not going to do a whole bunch of wrestling. There's not a lot of fight left. Pretty much the battle's over at that point. Everything's done. And by touching the thigh, God deliberately crippled Jacob to the point, um, at the point of his greatest strength. It was really... An acted out parable. An acted out parable. It's a lesson that we really don't want to miss. Well, what's the lesson, preacher? Well, the lesson is when you wrestle with God, you always lose. Jacob had been wrestling with God. No, get this. Come on, stay with me. Jacob had been wrestling with God all of his life. He'd been wrestling with God all of his life. And now he was on the brink of losing everything he had lived for. And even his life, possibly, if Esau wouldn't change his mind. God didn't cause the losses. In fact, God had stepped in to try to keep him from losing any more than he had. 
And so Jacob begins to cling onto this man. I said it a moment ago, but it's really true. A man with his thigh out of joint, he can't wrestle. He has no point of leverage. And really, for all practical purposes, the fight is just over. And it must have been at that moment that Jacob realized that his opponent was the Lord. And as Jacob was laying there in the dust, no doubt much pain, I would have to say probably a new fear gripped his heart. A fear that God would walk away and leave him in that helpless condition to face Esau. So in desperation, he reaches out and he grabs a hold of God and hangs on. Get this, get this, get this, get this. And hangs on because now, now, God is the only hope he has. He's the only hope. No, no, no. I mean, all plans have been, they're null and void. And God's the only hope he has. So Jacob's resolve was to have the blessings of God upon his life. And we can see Jacob's repentance here. Look at verse 27. It says, And he said unto him, uh, the Lord said unto him, What is thy name? Now, God knew who Jacob was. He knew who Jacob was. But he wanted to know if Jacob knew who he was. And Jacob answered, Well, my name is Jacob. Supplanter. Taker. Cheater. What's the big deal about that preacher? It was a confession of a sinner. No, no, he came to the realization of who he really was. There was a time in my life, 37 years ago, that I came to the realization of who I really was. And when I did, I repented. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And he saved my soul and gave me a new life. We come to a place of realizing that no matter how good our plans may be, um, we can't outsmart God. And we cannot do anything without God that's going to amount to anything whatsoever. And so God brought him to this place of repentance. Brought him to this place of confessing well, it was a confession of a, of a selfer. A selfer, what's that? Well, that's somebody who wants to run their own life their own way. It's a confession. But now at this point, what we're realizing and seeing here at this point, he's now turning to God's way. And I am here to tell you tonight 
That is what will bring God's blessing upon our lives. When we realize and we finally quit trying to run our life our way. And we will yield to God and allow Him to take over. And allow Him to run our life the way that He always has wanted to run our life. uh, That's when the blessings begin. That's when the blessings really, really start. And we have to think about how Jacob was blessed. He said there, um, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. So Jacob was blessed because he became a new person. (laughs) I'm thankful for the day that God saved my soul and gave me new life and gave me the ability to become a new person in him. Gave me that ability to become a new person in him. And he also has a new perspective here. Um, Because now his life is preserved. His life is preserved. He, 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 He realized that life... He realized that life wasn't getting what he deserved... But what he didn't deserve. <clears throat> I deserve hell. I don't deserve any of the blessings of God. But God gave me what I uh, did not deserve. He gave me new life. He gave me peace. He gave me hope. He gave me direction. He gave me a life that I never dreamed I could ever live. But he did not do it until I acknowledged who he was. And he also gave Jacob a new peace. A new peace. Chapter 33. Come on, I'm so close to being done, you don't believe me, I know. But here I am. Verse 1. A new peace. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau came and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost and Leah and her children after and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So here he is. He's got the limp, of course, from his thigh being out of joint. But really, he looked like the same old Jacob until he passed out in front. No, no longer was he hiding behind his family. No longer was he hiding behind all those gifts and things. No, no, no. He decides, I've got to take my medicine. No matter what's coming to me, I have got to take my medicine. And I'm ready to leave my fate in the hands of God. 
I am no longer in charge of my life. I am putting myself, my, my life in the hand of God. And when he did that, God did the miraculous for him. <clears throat> so let me wrap it all up by saying this. Jacob's not a special case. What do you mean, preacher? Well, he's a picture of all of us. No, he's a type of all of us. All of us have a tendency to want our own way. To do our own thing. To do things the way that we want to do them. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 6. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's us. I mean, he's a picture of us. We are deeply committed to making our lives work our way. And if we're not careful, we tend to get very full of ourselves and full of our own plans. And we're destined to do it our way no matter what happens. And we really all need to learn what Jacob learned. Well, what was that? We really can't win at life without God's blessing. It's just not going to happen. Even if it looks like we're doing well, even if we've accumulated wealth, even if things seem to look good, we still may not have the blessing of God upon our life. That only comes when we are fully yielded to God. And here's the great part. No, no, here's the great part. God wants to bless us. I'll say it again. God wants to bless us. That's our God. That's our Heavenly Father. He wants to bless us. He wants to help us. He wants to guide us. Absolutely so. Yeah. And that is why He allows things in our lives at times to break us. Of being self-dependent. To bring us to the point of confessing what we really are. And how we've really lived. To bring us to that point of trusting Him. Trusting Him. So, here's the invitation. Where are you at in your life? Are you in charge? Or is God in charge? Are you doing things God's way? Are you doing things your own way? Are God's blessings... In your life evident? Or are you having to manipulate things to get your own way? It might be that you need to come tonight 
and just repent. Repent of what, preacher? Your own ways. Just your own ways. To make sure that uh, you're doing things God's way. You know, God does use broken things. But really and truly, we don't have to wait till God breaks us. We don't have to. If we're willing to just go ahead and yield. Jacob leaned on his staff for the rest of his life. We can see that over in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. He walked a different way from that time forward. And it was a remembrance to him of what God had done. You know, you can come down to an altar and you can make some decisions for God and walk different the rest of your life without having to use a staff to do so. It's just yielding your heart completely to God. And allowing him to be the one that makes decisions for you. Let's stand. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. And we thank you that you want to bless us. And you do. And you want to help us in every parts, every, every part of our life. You want to. But Lord, we have to be willing to do it your way and not our way. We have to be willing to yield and to quit manipulating to try to get our own way. We have to be willing, Lord, to just surrender to whatever you would have. That willingness just to surrender all. I don't know how you may have spoken to hearts tonight. The Lord, we're going to open the altar And our prayer is that folks would just respond in a way that's going to help them to draw closer to you. That's going to help them to be more abundantly blessed by you. Lord, that we'd just be very honest with ourselves and with you. Lord, we would take whatever steps we need to take. That our life would be what it needs to be for you. Bless this time of invitation. Help us, Lord, we pray, please. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Piano's going to play. Altar's open. Many have already come. You need to come. Why don't you? Why don't you? No, you, you know you need to come. Why don't you? Take a moment. Yield to God. Talk to Him. Ask Him for the help that only He can give. Just give it all to Him. Quit trying to run your life your own way. Quit trying to make things happen the way you want them to happen and allow God to do it the way He wants it done. Folks are praying. There's time. Come on. You need to come. Come on. Just let God have His way.